أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والعقبة للمتقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له إله الأولين والآخرين وأشهد أن نبينا محمدا عبده ورسوله المصطفى الأمين اللهم صلي وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد Welcome to another episode of our tafsir page by page and inshallah ta'ala today we are on page 36 which is the second juz of surah al-Baqarah uh, Allah Azza wa Jal in the previous uh, episode we mentioned that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned a number of rulings concerning a number of different things but the one thing that connects all of them is that these are rulings that Allah Azza wa Jal mentions in this surah uh, to show or to impress upon us the importance of obedience and submission to him subhanahu wa ta'ala and many of these issues were issues that the Quraysh and the Arabs in general in their society pre-Islam in the days of ignorance they used to have issues with whether it's issues of marriage, issues of divorce, issues of inheritance, issues of the well-being of orphans, one of these different types of issues, women's uh, rights and so on, one of these different types of things that the Arabs used to fall short on before the coming of Islam and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So Allah Azza wa mentions a number of rulings. The final ruling that we, uh, that we mentioned at the conclusion of the previous episode was to do with oaths. And how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that it is good practice that if a person takes an oath and then they realize that there is something which is better, more beloved to Allah azza wa jal, more rewarding, more beneficial, then they should expiate for the oath that they've taken and do that thing which is more rewarding and more beneficial. Could be more rewarding because the oath that the person has taken is an act of worship. So therefore it's more rewarding for them and beneficial for them to do what is more pleasing to Allah Azza wa Jal, what, is, what will bring them closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it could be more beneficial in the sense that it's something to do with the rights of others or helping others or reconciling between others. And so therefore it is more rewarding and beneficial in that sense. It's beneficial in terms of the way that it helps others and the, and the good that it will bring to a family or a community. And Allah Azza wa Jal also mentioned that the types of oaths that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referring to here are the oaths of conviction in the heart that has sincerity, that you sincerely intend to do something, that firm intention. Those are the oaths that Allah Azza wa Jal is referring to as opposed to what people may say as part of their language and, and as, as part of their conversation, where they just simply invoke the name of Allah Azza wa Jal, not intending by it an oath, but simply because it is the way that they speak. The uh, first verse that we're going to begin with today, which is actually the second verse on this page because we took the first verse as part of the previous episode. But the first verse that we will begin with today, which is 226 uh, of Surah Al-Baqarah, is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioning to us a ruling of a type of oath. This is also a type of oath, but it is an oath that the husband takes in his marriage. And that is the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم للذين يؤلون من نسائهم تربص أربعة أشهر فإن فاءوا فإن الله غفور رحيم For those who swear that they will not approach their wives, there shall be a waiting period of four months. If they go back, remember Allah azza wa jal will be most forgiving and most merciful. This is a type of oath, and it is an oath that is specific to the husband that takes place in the marriage between a husband and a wife. 
and that is in Arabic called Ila. Ila. It is in the books of fiqh known as Ila. And if you read the books of fiqh, there is a chapter on there in there called the chapter of Ila. And Ila essentially is when a husband takes an oath that he won't come close to his wife, that he won't approach his wife intimately for a period of time. And this is done for maybe perhaps because there's some problem between the husband and the wife or the wife has upset the husband in some way or something may have happened. And so because of that, it is one of the ways that there is uh, that the gives the husband and wife some type of separation, some time apart to reconsider their situation and their marriage and then to make the decision that will come next, whether they continue or whether they separate on a more permanent basis. Uh, the Prophet ﷺ practiced what we call ila. This ila, the Prophet ﷺ practiced it. It is mentioned in the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha. And other than Aisha radiallahu anha, it is found in the famous collections of hadith like Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih Muslim. And that is that the Prophet ﷺ made this oath to stay away from all of his wives, not just one or two, all of them, for a period of a month. So he specified a month. And he said that for that period, I won't come close to it. And its story and the reason behind it is mentioned in the books of hadith. And it is mentioned because of a verse that will come much later on in the Quran, in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is that as we know that sometimes there would be rivalry between some of the wives of the Prophet So some of them decided that they would do something in order to take away some of the favor that the Prophet was showing to some of his other wives and so on, or what they considered to be a favor. It's not really a favor, but they considered that he's spending or giving some attention uh, to someone or from, to some of his wives over others. And so they said that they would do something and they did it. And this is mentioned in more detail uh, in Surah Tahrim. Uh, which is the final uh, surah of the 28th juz and inshallah ta'ala when we come to it we can maybe speak about that in more detail in terms of the incident behind it one of the uh, one of the if you like conclusions or one of the consequences of that particular incident that allah azza mentions in the quran one of the consequences was was the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam made ila he made ila which is he took this oath that he would stay away from them for a period of a month and the Prophet ﷺ then did so for a period of 29 days because as we know, the lunar month, the Islamic month, can either be 29 or 30 days. And so the Prophet ﷺ did so. So it is something which is legislated. And it is a type of oath because he takes an oath that I'm not going to approach my wife for this period of time. Allah says, however, this can't be open-ended. Someone can't just say, I will make ilah and leave it forever and ever open-ended because that is now unfair upon the wife it becomes a type of oppression upon her so Allah gave for it a limit and he said that there is a time period of four months meaning that that is the maximum that you can take and so Allah says so then if they go back then Allah is most forgiving and merciful meaning within that four period of time. So either they specify a time period like the Prophet did وسلم, take an oath for a month, two months and so on or they leave it open-ended. If they leave it open-ended then they have to have a maximum of four months. The Sharia puts down a limit, a maximum limit of four months if within that period of time they uh, they decide to reconcile that as Allah Azza says, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is forgiving and merciful. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in verse 227, But if they are determined to divorce, remember that Allah knows and hears all. 
So Allah says that if after that period or in that period of four months, the husband decides that I can't continue with this, the wife says, look, this isn't working, it's not happening, then they can divorce. And the marriage comes to an end. If the four months elapses and the husband is not willing to make that decision, then he is forced to make the divorce. He's told, you have to divorce. Either you go back now, the four months is over, you only have two choices. You cannot continue in this way. Either you go back and reconcile or you divorce. So that time period is placed upon it. And if he refuses to do so, then the Muslim judge would issue the divorce on his behalf. He would just mandatorily say, it is a divorce because you're refusing to make the decision. Allah Azzawajal gave the limit of four months. The fact that you're refusing to go back to her means that the other choice must then be taken. There are only one of two choices. And so the fact that you refuse to go back means therefore that we must proceed with the divorce. And that is essentially what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying here. And so one of the things that Allah Azzawajal uh, said, or, or one of the things that Allah Azza wa did in terms of this practice was to give to it a time limit so that it would be something which wouldn't go on open ended. Because we know that one of the things that the Arabs in pre Islam of the Quraysh and others used to do before the coming of the Prophet in issues of marriage and divorce is that they would often oppress the woman by having her open endedly divorced or open endedly hanging not really giving her divorce and not really keeping her as a wife either. Or they would say certain things that Allah will mention later on, as we will mention later on in the Quran, one of the uh, latest surahs that will come, they would do things like dihar. Dihar is essentially when the husband would compare his wife to his mother, meaning that I'm treating you like my mother. So therefore, as a mother, no one has an intimate type of relationship with their mother, that is something which is abhorrent. And so therefore, by making that type of distinction or by saying to his wife that this is how I will treat you, it was a type of divorce that isn't a divorce. Like that woman now isn't divorced because he didn't divorce her, but at the same time, he's not keeping her because he just said to her, you're like my mother. And so therefore, this is what the Arabs used to do to oppress their wives. Islam came and he took away all of that type of oppression, all of that type of thing, and he placed limits within it, and it made uh, a recourse for the wife to be able to go to the Muslim judge and to seek her own course of action if the husband is refusing to give her any type of clarity. In verse 228 to 28, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then goes on to the issues of divorce. A woman, when she is divorced by her husband, in Islam we have what we call the iddah, the waiting period. And the waiting period will differ depending on the situation of the woman. So for example, the woman that is pregnant has a waiting period. The woman that is divorced has a waiting period. The woman, for example, that is widowed has a waiting period. Each one of them has their own ruling. Here Allah Azza is speaking about the divorced woman. The divorced woman, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says, and this is the divorced woman that isn't pregnant, that she has to wait. Her waiting period is three quru, three monthly cycles. And the scholars of fiqh differ as to the, what the word qur means. Or qur means, does it mean the onset of the monthly cycle or the ending of the monthly cycle and the purification that takes afterwards? That's an issue of difference of opinion amongst the scholars of Islam. But either way, they, they essentially agree, as Allah says, that it is three monthly cycles or three monthly waiting periods. So in that time, which is the waiting period, the husband has the right 
to take back his wife if he wants to give the marriage another go. And if that period elapses, it finishes, then if they want to get back together again, it must be a new marriage contract with new witnesses, a new dowry and so on. It's essentially like marrying the woman all over again from beginning. Whereas during the waiting period, he can simply ask for her to come back and there doesn't have to be a new marriage contract or anything else. And that is one of the benefits of the waiting period. Because sometimes in the heat of the moment, the husband and the wife divorce. And then after a period of time, maybe a couple of weeks, a month or so, they realize that actually what united them was far more and far more important than what separated them. The love that they had for one another was far greater than the differences that they had. And every marriage, every uh, relationship has its differences has its tree uh, has its peaks and troughs has its highs and lows because that is the nature of of humans that they differ and that they will have different positions and opinions and sometimes they become upset with one another and so on and so sometimes some people they feel that they can't reconcile that it is uh, uh, that there is no hope for them but after a while they realize that actually no it was better and it was good and they had much more that kept them together rather than that which separated them. So Allah Azza wa gave this time period of to elapse so that people could make that decision without any other type of pressure. But there is obviously a limit to it because otherwise the husband would just leave it open-ended and that would mean that the woman can't continue with her life or for example remarry. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, وَلَا يَحِلُّ لَهُنَّ أَنْ يَكْتُمْنَ مَا خَلَقَ اللَّهُ فِي أَرْحَامِهِنَّ إِنْ كُنَّ يُؤْمِنَّ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ Allah Azza wa Jal says, and if they really believe in Allah in the last day, then it is not lawful for them to conceal what Allah has created in their wombs. Meaning that Allah Azza wa Jal is saying that in that period of divorce, if the woman realizes that she's become pregnant, so that's why it's mentioned, uh, mentioned as three monthly periods, meaning the monthly cycle that a woman goes on. Because the monthly cycle shows that she's not pregnant. If she becomes pregnant, Allah says, don't conceal that pregnancy. Because the husband has no way of knowing once they're separated, whether she's going through her monthly cycle or not. Nor does really anyone else. She could conceal that monthly cycle for three months. And within the first two or three months, there are very little or very few outwardly signs that a woman is pregnant in terms of her of, 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 of the baby showing itself and so on, there's not many signs. And so therefore, she could very quickly after those three months get married and claim that the child belongs to someone else. Allah Azza wa Jalla is saying, the woman who believes in Allah and the last day will never conceal the true lineage of the child that she is carrying, his true parentage, who the father is. And that is because the Sharia, one of the things that he came to preserve is lineage. It is from the five major issues that the Sharia came to preserve. So that people would know, because one of the issues that the Sharia does or considers to be extremely important is the issue of lineage. So we know, and that is why we only get to have children within the bonds of marriage. Why Allah Azza wa has made zina haram. Why all of these rulings concerning the way men and women have relationships and the way that they communicate and mix with one another or don't mix with one another, all of this has been legislated by the Sharia. So it doesn't lead to indecency. And those types of issues with which then leave a child without any idea of who the father is or sometimes their mother abandons them, whatever it may be, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala places a responsibility upon the parents for that child. And from those responsibilities is financial, from those responsibilities is emotional, and from those responsibilities is religious. As Allah Azza wa says, Save yourselves and your families from the fire.
And so Allah is saying that it is not befitting for the woman to conceal this. So maybe after the period of divorce, in that waiting period, she finds that she's pregnant. It is therefore her duty and the right of the husband that she tells him that I am now pregnant. That may also change their relationship or the way that they think about their marriage. They may decide that now that they're having a child together, that it is better for them to continue in that marriage as opposed to separate. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that it is from the signs of Iman that a person would have concealed something like this because it speaks to a person's trust, their integrity, their honesty, and so on. Allah Azza wa Jalla says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, their husbands would do better to take them back during this period, provided they wish to put things right. Allah Azza wa Jalla says that the husband has more right or has the right to ask for his wife to return during that waiting period with a condition and a caveat. And that condition is, that they want to rectify, that they want to do things in the correct way. This is from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number one, Allah azza wa jalla has given the husband the right to choose, that if he wants the marriage to continue, that he wants to give the marriage another go, that he has the right for the uh, to ask for his wife to come back. That's his right. However, Allah azza wa jalla doesn't leave that open-ended. But from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, so long as he wishes for it to be good so long as he wants good to come from it, meaning that he's not doing it out of some type of enmity, some type of wish to oppress, some type of wish to stop his, now what would have been his ex-wife to go on and to carry on with her life or to get remarried or someone. So he doesn't really want her and he's going to oppress her, but he's going to keep her as well because he doesn't want it to go to anyone else. These types of issues, Allah says that they would be sinful. They would be disobedient. And it was a position of some of the scholars that they said that if it is found that the husband has an ulterior motive, an evil intention, then it's not allowed for him to take the wife back and he can be stopped and prevented from doing so. That's one position that you find amongst some of the scholars and it has his weight, it has its weight within this verse of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because Allah azza wa jal gives that caveat. The majority of the scholars said no, she would still go back to the wife even if we had suspicions concerning that and he would be sinful. That is between him and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As I said though, other scholars said no because Allah azza wa jal says in aradu islaha, if they wish to do that which is good. So if we know that this person is, doesn't want to do good, for example, he's abusive and we know that he's abusive. He's physically abused his wife, he's violent towards her, he harms his wife and children, then that person is someone that you don't want to go back to, that you don't want them to go back and to be put into that position in that type of marriage. And that is from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah says, and wives have rights similar to their obligations according to what is recognized to be fair, meaning that Allah has given to the wives rights. And this is one of the major differences between the practice of the people of Jahiliyyah before Islam and the practice of the Muslims at the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Allah has given to the wives their rights. They have a right to be cared for, to be provided for, that you treat them with honor and respect, that you love them, that you allow them to live a life that is a life of happiness and fulfillment, that you allow them to fulfill their obligations to Allah Azza wa Jal and their family and so on and so forth. These are the rights that they have. So just as you have rights over them, O husbands, they have rights over you. And just as you expect your rights to be fulfilled, then likewise they have rights that they expect to be fulfilled as well. And the successful marriage is the one 
that can recognize those rights and work together in order to be able to fulfill those rights. And sometimes that means a level of compromise. Because if I always demand every single one of my rights, and my wife always demands every single one of her rights, then it's sometimes impossible to do that. Because the nature of humans is that we can't fulfill every single right every single time. And that is why when it comes to relationships, the husband with the wife, the children with the parents, siblings, family members, relatives, friends, and all... The Sharia, even in terms of brotherhood in Islam, tells you to be foregoing, tells you to be forgiving, tells you to pardon and to gentle, to be gentle. Doesn't say demand everything. It's your right. Take everything, even though it is your right and you have the right to take it. But what the Sharia always encourages is gentleness and kindness, because human nature means that they will fall short. Human nature means that sometimes I will wrong, sometimes I will oppress, sometimes I will not fulfill the rights of others. So if that person understands that he's human, and just as he makes mistakes, I make mistakes, or just as she makes mistakes, I make mistakes, then that marriage or that relationship can continue to work. Otherwise, at some point, it becomes extremely difficult for it to continue, or it continues at the expense of the happiness of one spouse or another. Allah Azza wa Jalla says, And the husbands have a degree of right over their wives, meaning that in the household, because in every single structure, Allah Azza wa Jalla has given one person authority. And in the structure of the household, the family, it is the husband that has been afforded that right. And it is a responsibility, not a kingdom or a fiefdom that that person can go and then start to come out as they wish and, and, and just, uh, just oppress as they wish. Rather, it is a responsibility that Allah Azza wa Jalla has placed on them. Look at this verse that the husbands have that right. And look at the statement of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, كُلُّكُمْ مَسْؤُولُ وَكُلُّكُمْ مَسْؤُولٌ عَنْ Every one of you is responsible. Every one of you will be held to account for his responsibility. And from those responsibilities, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, is the wife or the husband over his household. It's a responsibility. So yes, I have authority. Yes, I get to make the final decision. But it's not just because it's based upon my desires or what I want to do or whatever it is that I please. It is done as everything else in the Sharia is done in a in a atmosphere of communication, an atmosphere of cooperation. As the Sharia says, make shura, seek counsel, seek advice. The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, with his own wife sallallahu alaihi wasallam, didn't have that type of ruling. A system where he would sit as unfortunately many brothers now have the concept that he means that you're the husband so you can just sit at home put your feet up command everyone to serve you and to wait on you hand and foot no that's not the meaning Aisha radiallahu anha was asked the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa at home describe him she said he would be in the service of his family not that we would serve him he would be the one serving us and he's not only the leader of the household he's the leader of the whole ummah he's the messenger of Allah the leader of mankind sallallahu alayhi wa sallam but still he understood what it means. So this concept that sometimes unfortunately men have of, oh, the Sharia gives us this right, so therefore I can now express my right. I can now go and show my masculinity in this way and my manhood. That is not the meaning of what you find in the practice of the Prophet ﷺ. Rather, the Prophet ﷺ was helpful. He was gentle, he was kind, he was merciful, and he was patient with his family ﷺ. But yes, there is that level of authority. And what that authority means is that Allah will hold you to account before anyone else on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. So when it comes to your family, the salah, what you do in your household, what you're allowed to come in, not come in, what they watch, what they don't watch, all of this, that is what Allah Azza wa Jalla will ask you about. You will be responsible. 
Allah gave you that level of authority, but that responsibility also brings to it with it a level of higher accounting. And Allah Azza wa says, Wallahu Azizul Hakim, and indeed Allah is Almighty and Allwise. In the next verse in 229, Allah says, Divorce can happen twice. And each time wives can either be kept in an acceptable manner or they are released in a good way. If a husband divorces his wife and then the period of waiting elapses and then they wish to get married again, they get married again for a second time. And then if, they, if he divorces her again and the period of waiting elapses, then he can marry her a third time. But after the third time, he can't just marry her again, as Allah Azza will mention in the forthcoming verse, in the verse that will come after this. The practice of the Arabs before Islam is that he could marry her and divorce her as many times as he wanted, open-ended. Marry her, wait for a while, marry, uh, divorce her, sorry, wait for a while, marry her again, divorce her, wait for a while, marry, and this would be never-ending. Allah Azza said no. He can't keep doing this. Even in the waiting period, if he takes her back, he can only do this a maximum of three times. After the third time, that divorce is final. It is final. He can't just keep doing this, can't just keep playing with it, can't just keep saying you divorce and come back. And this is also from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَلَا يَحِلُّ لَكُمْ أَن تَأْخُذُوا مِمَّا آتَيْتُمُوهُنَّ شَيْئًا إِلَّا أَن يَخَافَا أَلَّا يُقِيمَا حُدُودَ اللَّهِ it is not lawful for you to take back anything that you have given to your wives, except where both fear that they cannot maintain the marriage within the bounds of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah azza wa jal says that it's not permissible for you to take back from your wives that which you gave to them. So what you gave to them in terms of their dowry, in terms of their gifts and so on, at the time of divorce, you can't just take that back from them. That's something which you gave for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and for that marriage as part of the contract. So therefore now it is something which belongs to them. فَإِنْ خِفْتُمْ أَلَّا يُقِيمَا حُدُودَ اللَّهِ فَلَا جُنَاحَ عَلَيْهِمَا فِيمَ افْتَدَتْ بِهِ But if you fear that you will not be able to uphold the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then there is no blame on either of them if the woman opts to give back something for her release. And this is to do with the khula', the uh, separation that the woman asks for. She's not happy in the marriage, the husband refuses to divorce her, she is allowed to go to the Muslim ruler and judge and say, I can't continue this marriage, as some of the female companions did in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, he then issues the separation, which is called khula, but from the conditions of that, is that she gives back the dowry that he gave to her. Allah Azza says, Tilka hududullahi fala ta'atadu'ha, these are the bounds set by Allah, so do not overstep them. وَمَنْ يَتَعَدَّ حُدُودَ اللَّهِ فَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الظَّالِمُونَ And those who overstep those bounds, then those are the ones who do wrong. And these, in terms of their details and the minutiae, these are issues of fiqh that require deeper study. For us and our purpose, it is for us to understand the verse in its general meaning without going into the explicit details of the fiqh rulings. The final verse on this page, in verse 230, Allah if a husband re-divorces his wife after the second divorce, she will not be lawful for him until she has taken another husband. If that one divorces her, then there will be no blame if she and the first husband return to one another, provided they feel that they can do so with the bounds that Allah Azza wa has set. These are Allah's bounds, which he has made clear for those who know. 
Allah Azza wa Jalla is essentially saying, as we said, after that third divorce, it becomes final. The only way that the husband and wife can then remarry is if the wife goes into a legitimate marriage with someone else. And what I mean by legitimate is not what the practice is in some cultures where certain people say, oh, I'll marry you and divorce you. You know, we'll come consummate the marriage, I'll divorce you, you pay me such and such amount, and then you can go back to your first husband. Those types of dealings and those types of contracts are not allowed in Islam. It must be a genuine marriage where she marries that man and they live together. And then if Allah decrees and, and just so happens that they happen to divorce, then she can go back to her first husband. And that is because, number one, for the rights of the woman, that the first husband doesn't just play with her, divorce, marry, divorce, marry. And at the same time, he then realizes that it's not a game, that he can't just go and do this as and when he pleases. And likewise, the wife understands the importance of this bond of marriage. And that is what Allah says, so long as you hope to keep the boundaries of Allah that are set. Meaning in every one of these situations, marriage, separation, divorce, all of these things, the first and foremost thing that should be in the mind of the Muslim is what is pleasing to Allah Azza wa Jal and what are the laws that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has set upon us. We conclude with this verse inshallah ta'ala and until our next episode, barakallahu feekum wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim